Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. What a great day to be in the house of God. If you're with us this morning and you've never been with us before, this is your first time at Hope Church, we would love to connect with you. So as we conclude the service, not right the second, of course, I have to preach, but um, when we do conclude the service, we would love to connect with you. Um, and my wife and I will be standing over there in the area that we refer to as the Hope Hub. And we would love to shake your hand, give you a hug, and just thank you for being with us today. Um, you would have also received a green Connect card on your way in today. If you'd fill that out and drop it in one of the baskets on your way out today, we would very much appreciate it. <clears throat> we just wrapped up a series of messages that went for five weeks on mental health. Uh, the title of the series was Carefree, and we talked all about how to how to, to annihilate from your life three different things, anxiety, depression, and despair. And I hope that you guys got something out of that, out of those five weeks. I know that I did. Uh, if you've not gotten a chance to listen to that or if you missed a few of those, um, you can check out hopeboon.com and uh, click the button at the top that says listen and go back and catch yourself up on those because I really believe, especially during this season of time, things like anxiety come up a lot in people's lives for, for so many different reasons. There's oftentimes so many different emotions that are attached to different holidays and memories and, and, and some good and some bad. And so I want to just encourage you, if you missed out on those messages, go back and, 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 uh, and listen to them uh, or listen to them again uh, and, and be encouraged as we go through the Christmas season because it's, it's the most joyous time of year. They weren't kidding when, when they said it's the most wonderful time of the year. Um, that's more than just a Christmas carol. But it can also be a challenging time for a lot of people. So if that's you, I want you to go and, and, uh, and encourage yourself in the Lord with those messages. I'm going to talk to you today and, and teach and preach a two-part message um, that I will start this week and conclude next week. And it is about Christmas uh, we're in the month of December. We're singing Christmas carols as a part of our worship team. Uh, wasn't that awesome? I'm so glad that we got to sing, Oh, come let us adore him, because that's what life is all about, adoring Jesus. Amen. Uh, so thank you, worship team. Appreciate y'all. Um, but I'm going to start a, a two-part message that I've titled The Story of Redemption. And I preached this message two years ago. Uh, no, actually, I preached it last year. And uh, I so enjoyed it that I said to my wife um, yesterday, I said, I think I might make this just an annual message at Christmas time because it's so doggone good. Uh, not because I'm a good preacher, but because the Bible and the word of God is good and the story of redemption is the most powerful story in history and it has the most significance to all of us. So, um, so I want you to prepare your hearts and get ready to receive what God has to say to us today. I've got a lot that I typed out for this message, so I'll, I'll be doing a little bit more reading from my notes uh, than I typically do. But let's go ahead and take a moment and pray as we get ready to receive God's word. Is that all right? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you so much 
for the story of redemption. We thank you so much for the meaning, the real meaning of Christmas. And this season that we're entering into now, Father God, I pray that it would become a time of vibrancy in our lives where we would discover and rediscover and continue to rediscover your goodness through the message and the truth of the Christmas season. Lord, I pray that during these weeks that all of our eyes would be turned to Jesus, that we would take our eyes off of all of the trappings of this world and that we would turn our eyes onto the celebration of the birth of your son. For we are ever grateful that Jesus came to be the most important sacrifice that was ever made. We were thankful that Jesus came to be the Lamb of God. Father, help us to keep that in our vision this Christmas season. We'll be careful to give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' mighty name. If you believe it, say amen and amen. So again, the title of the message today is The Story of Redemption. The Story of Redemption. Part one. I've always been personally fascinated by the scene in the Christmas story of the shepherd's fields. And I've often imagined what it must have looked and felt like to be a shepherd in those particular fields in Bethlehem on that particular night. What must it have felt like to be gripped by wonder and terror simultaneously as the sky is illuminated by the entirety of heaven's angelic army. And how much more intense would that experience have been to someone who had never seen a brightly lit billboard at night? <laughs> Imagine spending your entire life growing up in a rural part of the country and only knowing the light of a candle and then suddenly being dropped into Times Square. That would have been terrifying. <laughs> I mean, it would have been awe-inspiring perhaps, but also probably would have been a little bit scary. Can you begin to fathom what those shepherds experienced? It must have felt similar to be a shepherd that night as to be dropped in the middle of New York City. And I've often thought about the experience through their eyes. I think a lot of us have probably done that before. Thought about the experience through the eyes of the shepherds. In thinking about that same scene, I remember that there is another group present in the fields that night. It's the angels themselves. What was the experience like for them? What was it like to carry the awesome responsibility of delivering history's most profound announcement? What must it have been like to look down at the earth and declare their message? It's a pretty profound thought. Starting today, and then of course we'll finish it next week, just before we have our Christmas service where our kids will be singing some amazing songs and doing some incredible things. I'm actually really excited about the, the Christmas service on the 18th. We were talking about it as a, as a leadership team on Friday. 
uh, Frankie and Vanessa had met and had finalized everything, this year's production is going to be spectacular to rival that of Broadway. <laughs> and you can take that to the bank. No pressure, Vanessa and Frankie. Starting today and finishing next week, I'd like to try to tell the story of Christmas through the eyes and from the lens of the angels. The title of the message is The Story of Redemption from the Garden of Eden to Bethlehem. This is the story of redemption. It's the story of Christmas. I want to read to you from the New Living Translation, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. It says, You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when they told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. Pause right there for a moment. Have you ever thought about that? What it must have been like to be an Old Testament prophet, to be hearing from the Spirit of God and declaring by the Spirit of God all these amazing things that were going to happen when this Messiah character eventually showed up. How, how that must have felt. They, they knew that what they were talking about was not for them. It was for some future generation down the road. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. I love this passage so much. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. I want you to take notice of that last sentence. It's all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. I want you to stop for a moment and think about the reality of this that human history has happened in full view of the angelic hosts. Did you know that angels are super old? Much older than you, much older than me. They've had a front row seat for the entire drama of human existence. The angels that we see in the fields over Bethlehem are making an eager announcement because they've been watching the unfolding story of redemption for millennia. In order to fully sense the weight of this historic moment, we have to go back to the beginning and see what the angels were watching. Y'all following me so far? You want to go on this journey? We're going to attempt to see the entire Christmas narrative, the narrative of redemption, through the eyes of the only beings who had a front row seat for the entire production, and that's the angels. 
The only ones who saw the whole thing happen, apart from the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit themselves, apart from the devil and his crowd, was the angels. Now, we don't exactly know which point in history the angels were created. It's sometime before the creation of the world, so we know that they've witnessed human history since its inception. I don't know exactly when the angels were created. Google seems to know. If you type in a Google search, when were the angels created, Google will tell you it was 1961 until you read long enough to find out it's talking about the Los Angeles Angels baseball franchise that was started in 61. So that's not the same group of angels. (laughs) Here's the point. They've watched this millennia-long drama called Humanity. And they've watched it play out since the opening act. Our story begins in the creation of the world. We're going to continue in 1 Peter because Peter is actually telling us this whole story in the book of 1 Peter. And he, he, if you go back to the previous chapter, 1 Peter 1, verse 18 through 20 says this, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless, watch this, Lamb of God. Pay close attention to that statement, the Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he's been revealed for your sake. Notice that last line. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. I want you to understand something because this is very important for the rest of our our discussion today and next week. God's plan was always for a lamb. God's plan was always for a sacrificial lamb. A lamb that would take our place on the chopping block and become a ransom for our sin as human beings. God's plan was always, always has been, always will be. His plan is for a lamb. The story of redemption took place before the creation of the world, before sin was even a problem. God saw the future and he prepared a solution to the need before the need even existed. That ought to give you so much hope for your life. That God has the capacity as God to prepare for you a solution to the problem you don't even know you have yet. Amen. This is who God is. This is the God that we serve. He's got solutions to problems that don't even exist yet in our lives. God's plan was always for a lamb. In fact, I I put it this way in my notes. God never had a plan B because he never needed one. His plan A was always to provide himself as a sacrifice. Unbelievable. Wow. Holy smokes. Just about the moment you think nobody cares about you. 
<laughs> just about the moment you're, you're, you know, your hope's been drained by life's circumstances, just about the moment you think there's no hope for you in this world and nobody really truly cares about you, just remember that God's plan A, which is the only plan he ever needed, was that he would give himself as a ransom for you. Tell that to the devil next time he tries to convince you your life doesn't have any value. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8 says that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. This becomes the overarching point of the story. Are you following me so far? It's all about the sacrificial lamb. Always has been. We have the advantage of knowing who that lamb is, but understand that no being in history knew about the lamb except for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No one was expecting him to come in a manger. No one was expecting him to come as, as a defenseless barn animal. No one was expecting him to come as a sacrifice. So for the early part of human history, nobody knows what's going to happen. And yet God keeps inserting himself into the story of, of humans, into the story of human history. In unique ways. And all along, the angels are watching this happen. It blows my mind to try to imagine what it must be like to be an angel at Christmas time. The angels know something's coming and they know that God is working to bring about his plan. And I believe they're fascinated by it. Because that's what Peter said in 1 Peter. He said, these are the things that the angels look at and they just are excited to watch it all unfold. Can you imagine being an angel? That the only, ex the, the only experience you have is in the throne room of God? All the angels, they all hang out in God's throne room. All the time. It's just like, you know, imagine if you're going driving home today, and instead of driving to your house, you drive home to heaven and to the throne room, which is where you hang out. And even though the angels, all they see is the goodness and the glory and the splendor of the heavenly kingdom of God, they're somehow fascinated with us. Unbelievable. Let's go back to the beginning. What happens in creation? We enter into the Garden of Eden and we see all of the perfection of what God created abandoned by Adam and his wife Eve because of their disobedience. Yet even in their disobedience, we see the mercy of God on display in his wisdom and in his foresight. It's hard to miss the mercy of God in the Old Testament. I want you to, I want you to catch this. It's hard to miss the mercy of God in the Old Testament. A lot of people read the Old Testament with a cynical perspective and they say, how can a good God have let all these wars and all this, you know, uh, all this stuff happen? And people accuse God of, of ethnic cleansing and all these kinds of things. They, they think they look at the Old Testament, they think God is this, you know, hardened person. Don't miss out on the mercy of God. Because God, especially in the Old Testament, is consistently inserting himself into human history to fix and save and fix and save and fix and save and deliver and save and fix and restore and save and deliver. 
That's his nature. He's constantly saving people and bailing them out of the stupid situations that they create for themselves. Amen. That should make you feel good about your life. Amen. <laughs> Don't let me be uh, you know, over the top, but that should make you feel good. Genesis 3 verse 14, we, we could go back and see God's judgment upon the serpent and how it is laced with and perfumed with his plan to redeem mankind from his sin. No sooner has man sinned than God pulls the curtain back just a tiny bit and gives us a peek at redemption. At this point in time, only God knows that his plan is for a lamb. Only the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are fully in on the secret, but the angels know something is up and they start watching. This is the, the very beginning, okay? Day one, day two, day five, man sins. Now you fast forward 1,100 years. It's only six chapters in the book of Genesis, but it's 1,100 years, over a millennia, from the garden to Noah and the flood. You could read it in a few minutes, but it took 1,000 plus years, okay? Okay. Noah is seen as the deliverer. He's part of God's redemptive plan. But is he the deliverer that God foretold in the garden? Is this the lamb? Is Noah the lamb? Again, nobody really knows what's going on yet. God's just promised that, that there's going to be one who comes that is going to crush the head of Satan. And, and, and there's going to be this one who comes to deliver humankind. It's been a thousand, it's been 1,100 years since God said that. The angels have been hanging out, watching humanity get worse and worse and worse and worse. And now God comes to bring a flood to scratch the whole plan and start over. And I, I wonder what the angels thought. Is this the lamb? No, he can't be. He's not sacrificial. Noah survived. It can't be the promised land, so the angel, the lamb, so the angels will have to watch and wait. You fast forward to Abraham and his son Isaac. Now, this could be the lamb. This could maybe this is it. God's got this covenant that he made with Father Abraham. It's been another 900 years from the flood, so we're 2,000 years in human history at this point. Y'all follow me? And the angels are, are just kind of looking around, watching to see what's happening. God inserts himself into the story of humanity again, this time with a man named Abram. You know the story. God makes a covenant with Abram, changes his name to Abraham. And as time passes, God gives Abraham this son named Isaac. He's the son which God promised to Abraham and to his wife Sarah. In Genesis 22, God tests Abraham's faith by telling him to sacrifice Isaac, his son. Is this it? Is this the lamb? We got a sacrifice going on. We got somebody innocent who's going to die for the people that aren't innocent. What's going on? Could this be the lamb? Think of what it must have been like for the angels to witness this. 2,000 years since the Garden of Eden. I mean, you know, that's like longer than a weekend. What, 
What's going on? Is this the lamb? God inserts himself into the story again. Isaac's not the deliverer. But he becomes one of the patriarchs upon which the nation of Israel is built. You fast forward another 500 years, 2,500 years in now, and we meet Moses. Israel has become a nation. Abraham's family lineage has increased into a whole nation of almost 3 million people. God inserts himself into the story again. This time with a man named Moses. The Israelites have been in the bondage of slavery to the Egyptians for four centuries. Check that out. Four centuries. And God is now raising someone up to deliver them. Listen to Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. It says this. Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. You know the story of what happens. Moses leads the people out of Egypt and God miraculously intervenes over and over again. No, no matter how dumb the Israelites were. I'm t- we're talking dumb. Dumb. No matter how dumb they are, God consistently fixes their problems. Is Moses the lamb? I mean, he sure is talking like one. He's the one who instituted the Passover. Do you remember that? God comes to to, to Moses right before the Egyptians are ready to be taken out of Egypt. And God tells Moses, here's what you're supposed to do. Get you a lamb. Sacrifice that lamb. Take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doors of your house. Paint that blood onto the entryway of your home and instruct every person in Israel to do the same thing. Every household has got to have a lamb. I wonder if the angels are starting to get clued in on God's plan. Is Moses the lamb? He isn't, but he's the one that God uses to start to talk about the lamb. We're 2,500 years in human history at this point. Under Moses' leadership, God gives Israel their law with details about all the specifics for sacrificing lambs every year. And still the angels watch and wait. Yet another 500 years go by. Israel now fully established in the land of Canaan, the promised land, is fully formed And the people have begged God to give them a king. And God reluctantly answers their prayer. God didn't want them to have a king. He wanted to be the king. And they said, but God, all the other kids in the neighborhood have kings. All the other nations have kings. We want one too. God answers their prayer, though he does it reluctantly, and he begins to raise up kings out of this nation that's been established called Israel. 
And one of them is the greatest king in Israel's history, King David. Is he the lamb? I mean, what are the angels thinking? Is this the lamb? I mean, he's got the goods. Killed Goliath. He's, a, he's majorly good looking. All the ladies in the kingdom are very impressed. He goes out to battle and he just slaughters the enemy and he just comes home. He's the triumphant, victorious king. Is he the deliverer? The tone changes in this story arc of redemption that we've been following here. The tone now changes and kings become the new template in Israel for strength. Kings become the one that the nation looks to. If you want to gain the attention of the nation of Israel at this point, you better, you better ride a big horse and wield a big sword and be a big leader, be a tough king. When God now inserts himself into the story, it's through victory in battle and conquest. And we can't be ignorant enough to think that this doesn't shape in the minds of the Israelite people what their deliverer is going to look like. Israel assumes that the Messiah who's to come is going to be just like David. He's going to be just like Moses. He's going to be just like Abraham. He's going to be this father of faith, this patriarch, this this wise scribe who knows the law. He's going to be this victorious king who rides a horse and is going to bring us in victory in battle. And still the angels watch and wait. Time fails us to tell of the entire history of Israel. We see so many stories come and go. We see men like Samson, like Gideon, like Solomon, like Elijah. We see women like Rahab, like Esther, like Ruth. God inserts himself into the story time after time after time in order to deliver. Are you starting to see that God's a good God? If you can't be convinced by anything in your life, at least be convinced by Israel's history, how frequently God rescued them. The age of kings that we were talking about with King David, that yields into the age of prophets and into the time uh, the times of Israel's captivity as servants of other nations. They were, they were held captive in Babylon, for example, 70 years. They became servants to other nations. And, and this is when things started getting really diluted in the nation of Israel. Because their, their, their love for God and their faithfulness to God now begins to be hijacked by the traditions of the nations that they're subdued by. Are you following me? So they start to worship other gods. They start to, they start to get really into entertained by idols and idol worship. They start to mix their traditions with the traditions of the nations that uh, have captured them. So God begins to raise up prophets to come and start to correct their error. Prophets like Isaiah begin to prophesy very articulate and detailed insight 
about the coming deliverer. In fact, the prophet Micah, I don't know if you knew this, the prophet Micah tells of Bethlehem being the birthplace of the Messiah. I mean, you could, you got to imagine what it's like to be an angel through all of this. They've watched God's chosen people from, from day one in the garden. They've watched God deliver the whole nation out of Egypt. They've watched God raise up men like King David who would be big, you know, wise conquerors. They've watched all this happen and now they're seeing the nation in captivity and now they're seeing prophets rise up and start speaking some very specific words about the coming Messiah. I don't know if you've ever read Isaiah or not, but Isaiah is super detailed, super detailed. Micah says that that this deliverer is going to be born in Bethlehem. I have to imagine that the angels are starting to get excited. And then something really, really weird happens. Super weird. God stops talking for 400 years. Isn't that weird? The same God who's been inserting himself into the story over and over and over again to deliver, to to, to rescue, to recover, to help, that same merciful God that we see all the way through the Old Testament, just all of a sudden, for no seeming reason, stops talking. For 400 years. That's twice as long as America has been a nation, if you want to have some perspective about it. Imagine that nobody from George Washington down through your great-great-great-great-grandkids ever gets to hear from God. We're not talking about like, oh, I prayed in my quiet time and I didn't hear the Lord. We're talking about nobody that you've ever known has ever heard of God or heard from God. Nobody that anybody knows has heard from God for four centuries. Heaven seems to shut its mouth and not one person on planet earth hears so much as a whisper from God. The silence in Israel must have been deafening. The centuries of silence have taken their toll on the nation of Israel. The soul of the people is parched like grass in the wilderness. But listen to what Galatians 4 has to say about this moment in history that we're getting ready to celebrate in a few weeks as Christmas. Galatians 4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons of God. After 400 years of silence, where the angels are getting pretty bored of just wandering around heaven with nothing to do, after 400 years, 
like the trickling of stones down a mountain at the beginning of an avalanche, something starts to happen. Can you imagine how it must have felt to the hosts of heaven in the time leading up to Jesus' birth? It's been 400 years, and God's about to insert himself into the story again. Listen to what the author Tom Holland has to say about the moment of Christ's birth. And I'm going to read you a snippet from a really fantastic article that I read by this gentleman named Tom Holland. Keep in mind, Tom's not a Christian. He's not a Christian author. But he's talking about the immensity of what Christmas actually means. Listen to this. He's speaking, for context, he's speaking about a Christian philosopher in the uh, 700s A.D. named Bade. This is what he says. Bade more clearly than any Christian scholar before him had recognized that there was only one fixed point, one year, amid the great sweep of all the aeons, one single pivot. Drawing on the calendar tables compiled some two centuries earlier, he had fixed on the incarnation the entry of the divine into the womb of the Virgin Mary as the moment on which all of history turned. This is a non-Christian author writing this stuff. If, if, if somebody who doesn't even know the Lord can be so convinced of the significance of, Christian, of Christmas, then we are without excuse. The moment on which all of history turned. Years, by Bade's reckoning, were properly measured according to whether or not they were before Christ or Anno Domine in the year of the Lord. How significant of a moment. All, I want to tell you this, all of human history hinges on the birth of Jesus Christ. I've just taken you from the Garden of Eden, pretty quick, from the Garden of Eden, almost 5,000 years through, through history to the moment at which Jesus is born. It's such a significant moment in history that everyone on the planet, no matter what their creed, no matter what their religion, no matter what their background, no matter what their nationality, no matter where they come from, for the last two plus thousand years, everybody in history has recognized this moment is the moment on which all of history turns, that it's so significant we build our calendars around it and say, did that happen before Jesus was born or did it happen after he was born? Your whole framework, your whole system of life and understanding hinges on the reality of this moment. And like trickling of stones after 400 years of silence, something begins to happen. Gabriel, after sitting around for four centuries, has all of a sudden been going back and forth to earth bringing messages to a young Hebrew woman named Mary and to a young Hebrew man named Joseph. Can you imagine being one of those angels in heaven? Hey, did you hear? Gabriel's been to earth again. Yeah, twice this week. 
For real. No, I heard Johnny talking about it. We were getting coffee. And, 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 he, and he's been down there twice this week. He talked to somebody named Mary. You know anything about Mary? I don't know who you're talking about, man. Never heard of her. What about Joseph? You know this guy, Joseph? No, I, well, I heard Timmy talking about that earlier. Yeah, I think I know who you're talking about, Joseph. Yeah, Gabriel's been to him. Yeah, twice. God shows up and a miracle baby named John is born to one of Mary's relatives, a woman who was barren named Elizabeth, and to her husband, Zechariah. I think the angels are starting to get excited. It's only been 5,000 years. A census is called by Caesar. And the whole known world shifts as people begin to travel back to their city or town of birth in order to be registered. Think about this. The whole known world begins to just travel all of a sudden. It's like the day before Thanksgiving at JFK Airport. Everybody's trying to get somewhere. All of a sudden. I mean, the nation has not seen or heard from God in four centuries. Nobody really has, has any clue about what God is doing. But the Lord is priming and posturing all of humanity for Him to be ready to show up. There's a new star shows up in the sky. Nobody knows anything about it. All these smart kings all over the Mediterranean are starting to look and to just go, have you seen the new star that's in the sky? We've never seen that star before. What's that all about? Must be pointing to something spectacular. I mean, again, how significant of a moment is this? That God would be willing to alter creation. That God would be willing to put a new host in the heavens to announce the arrival of His Son. God is literally prepping the entire world for the arrival of the Lamb. It's always been about the Lamb. I just have to imagine what it must have looked like on a map. If you're an angel and you're just, you know, flying a couple leagues above the, above the, <laughs> the Mediterranean region, and you just look down and see humanity like a bunch of ants just... Just scurrying all over the place, trying to what? It's like it's like that moment backstage before the curtain comes out and you get ready to perform. Everything is leading up to this thing called that Galatians calls the fullness of time. This fulcrum of human history that everything hangs on, and all of the world is getting ready for it. Mary and Joseph are hunkered down in a stable with livestock as she begins to go into labor. I'm going to show you pictures next week. We're going to talk about the place that they gave birth to Jesus Christ. It's a terrible place for a king to be born, but it's perfect if you're a lamb. Terrible place for the ruler of the nations to be born, but it's the perfect place if your job is to be a lamb. But he's hunkered down. The camels are there. The donkeys are there. Y'all have seen a living nativity before, haven't you? 
And for some reason in this moment, God tells all the angels, all of them, to go to this particular field in Bethlehem. I mean, what must that have been like? They know something's up. They've watched this drama unfold for 5,000 years. I have to imagine they're elbowing each other on the way to Bethlehem. You think this is it? It wasn't Moses. It wasn't David. It wasn't Abraham. It wasn't Isaac. It wasn't Gideon. It wasn't Saul. It wasn't Solomon. It wasn't Ruth. It wasn't Esther. It wasn't Rahab. It wasn't Noah. It wasn't Isaiah. It wasn't Elijah. It wasn't Jeremiah. It wasn't Micah. It wasn't any of those guys that we... You remember that old boy Balaam? Wasn't him. You think this is... Could this be the lamb? I don't know. I just know we're supposed to be in Bethlehem in like 30 seconds. They've been waiting for 4,000 years, almost 5,000 years. God sends them to a field to deliver one message. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Why would God send the angels who have seen the whole story why would he send them to speak to shepherds? It's easy. Shepherds know a lamb when they see one. Shepherds know a lamb when they see one. The people were looking for another Moses. They were looking for another David. They were looking for another Samson. But this whole time... God's been fixing himself a lamb. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about the significance of the manger and significance. Some of you, maybe you heard me tell this story last year but so it won't come as much of a surprise but for some of you that haven't heard this before you have no idea why the manger is significant why the swaddling clothes are so significant you know the bible doesn't waste language the scripture doesn't waste details god prepared before the foundation of this world a perfect lamb for you and for me and the angels had to wait thousands of years for the moment to arrive when they could turn on the lights to a bunch of little stinky shepherds keeping watch over their fields by night. And lo, the angels of the Lord appeared. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said, don't be afraid, for behold, I'm trying to do my best, Linus, for behold, I bring you good 
joy. Well, hold on. I got to go back and read it. I'm going to screw it up. angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord how long had they waited to say those words. Good tidings of great joy for everybody. I'm sure, Frankie, they had to be high-fiving each other after that announcement was made. Everybody look and see the king has finally arrived. Where is he? I don't see a king. Ah, I don't need to see a king. I see a lamb. We'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Next week, you'll find out why he was in a manger. Let's stand up to our feet. Don't know about you, but I can't read the book of Luke without crying. I can't read the story of Christmas without getting a little misty because unto me was born that day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life, know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.